welcome back to weekly business podcast by Rudy. So today I'm joined by Daniel Bruce Levin. So hi, Daniel, would you be able to kind of explain to the audience a bit about who you are and what you do? Sure, Ruhi, how are you? And thank you, first of all, for having me on your show. I so appreciate it. Um, I've lived a lot of life this lifetime, Ruhi, so it's a little bit hard to categorize who I am and what I do. Oftentimes I wish it was easier. I wish I had stayed in the same place that I was born in and gone into my father's business and, and had the friends that I grew up with for my whole life. It would have been so much easier to answer that question. But my, my, my life wasn't given that blessing. My parents were taken from me early as a child. And my dad died uh, when I was 13 and my mom when I was 15, two years apart on the same day at the exact same time. And so a lot of my life has been driven by why would, why would my parents, the people that love me more than anybody in the world, the people that I love more than anybody in the world, be taken from me for no apparent reason? And I tried to figure that out. And so it was only in writing my book, The Mosaic, that I really understood it. And that was some 45, 50 years later. When I realized that what happened is when my parents passed away, I asked the adults where my parents went. And the adults told me they went to a place called heaven. So as a kid, I set out in search of the place called heaven. And I've had so many different opportunities that most people would think were heaven on earth. I was given the opportunity to run a billion dollar corporation and I walked away from it. I was given the opportunity to be one of the starting people. My, my professor at school was the one who started organizational psychology. And he looked at me and he said, I want you to do this with me. This is going to be a growing field and I need to be able to hand it over to somebody. And I want you to do it with me so I can hand it over to you. And I walked away from it. I had the opportunity to be uh, ordained as a rabbi in Jerusalem, Israel. I studied five years in the seminary there. And I left the day before I was ordained because it didn't feel like it was me. I lived as a monk for 10 years in a monastery and I loved it. But what I didn't love is the fact that when I left the monastery, I didn't have the same peace that I had in the monastery. And so that wasn't for me. That wasn't, it wasn't that I wanted to live in a silo protecting myself from the world. I wanted to be able to be in the world and, and experience it. And it was only in writing the mosaic finally years later that I realized my heaven was a, was, a, was a transitionary place. It was that moment in time where we suddenly see what we've always seen differently. It was a change of perspective. And when I had that change of perspective, I realized that I could have gone back into that billion dollar company and I could have found my heaven there, but I just, I would have to have a change of perspective. And that change of perspective would have given me the possibility to find heaven everywhere. But at the moment when I, when I experienced it, heaven was someplace that I couldn't find. And so the process of writing that book really, really changed me, really helped me, really, really broadened my perspective on what I was doing here as a human being in this world. And it's been really exquisite to follow the process and to be part of this mosaic where every piece is connected to every other piece in one way or another so that everything we want it's just one piece away from where we are. If we want to have the love of our life, it's one piece away from where we are. If we want to have wealth and prosperity, it's one piece away from where we are. If we want to have the job of our dreams, it's one piece away from where we are. We just have to use the pieces and connect with the pieces that we're connected to already and draw from those pieces because in those pieces, 
is our peace. Very deep and it was very powerful and I especially loved your point on kind of every piece is one piece away from where they are. So I think, yeah, your story is very inspirational of how you kind of, you always searching for heaven and you tried so many different kind of roles and you were given so many different opportunities, but ultimately the mosaic was kind of that life changing experience for you. And yeah, so I wanted to kind of understand from you a bit about your book, The Mosaic. Yes. So the mosaic is a story on, on, on the simplest terms, the mosaic, the words of the mosaic tell a story. And the story is the story of my story, really, in, in a fabulized version. It's the story of a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day at exactly the same time. And he asks the adults where his parents are, and they tell him they're in a place called heaven. So he sets out in search of the place called heaven. But the people he meets along the way are not the ministers and the priests and the, and the swamis and the gurus and the shamans and the aborigines elders and the medicine women. They're, they're common ordinary people. They're the homeless men and the street worker, the, the, uh, the, the juice man and the trash man. They're the blind woman and the waitress. And he wonders, why in the heck am I meeting these people? What are they going to teach me about heaven? But what he realized, he, he heard a voice say, well, you're here with them. You don't have anywhere to go. Sit with them and let them tell you their story. And in every single case, when he did that, he listened to their story. He saw that what he had originally seen is nothing at all what they were. May I share one of those stories with you that they told me? So one of the characters that I met along the way was a trash man. And in the story, Mo is, Mo is the protagonist. He's the, he's the main character. He's the boy who lost his parents. And so he's walking along this beautiful street, which is pristine clean. He has nothing on his, on his he's not carrying anything. His pockets are empty. And suddenly to his surprise, a, a truck pulls up next to him and it's a trash truck. And the trash man from the trash truck looks to him and says, do you have any trash that you want me to take? And Mo looks at him like, like at his first look is, what are you crazy? The streets are clean. I have nothing on me. I, where would I find that trash? And he's just about to say that to him when he sees the glimmer in the trash man's eye. And he realizes the trash man's not talking about physical trash. He's talking about all the thoughts and all the things that keep him limited. He's talking about all the emotional blocks that he has that don't allow him to be himself. He's talking about the spiritual problems that he has that keep him limited to a, a certain point of view. And he starts to cry and he says, I have so much of that trash, you have no idea. I was just about to tell you you're crazy, but I, when I see the trash that you're collecting, I have so much of it and I don't know how I can get it all out. And the trash man says, but I'm here. I stopped my truck because I wanted to help you get rid of it. And he said, I have lots of trash cans, so don't worry about it. And he comes down with his trash cans and he puts his trash cans on the ground. And he says to Mo, I want you to pour everything into this trash can that hurts you. Every, every thought that you're not good enough, every thought that you can't do it, every thought that you are not what you think you, what you are. I want you to pour in here everything that limits you and everything, every pain that you have in your body, every thought that you have that makes you feel less than you are. And just keep putting it in here because what I want you to experience in this process is the beauty of the moment when you no longer have any of that inside you. It's all in this trash can. We don't have to throw it in the truck. You can have it all back anytime you want. 
but I want you to experience yourself without your limitations just for a few moments and to see what that feels like. And then you get to choose. Do I want to live without those limitations or do I want to have them all back? That trash man, most people walk by and don't even talk to. But that's what the trash man does. He comes by every week to take our garbage. But we don't even realize what's possible for him to take and what's not possible. If my son wanted to be that trash man, I would put every, every dollar that I had investing in his future to do that for people. And when I was four years old, I wanted to be a trash man. I sat and watched the trash man and I, collect, I watched them collect the garbage every week on Friday mornings when they would come by. And I said to my mom, I want to be a trash man when I grow up. And she said, Danny, you have a genius IQ. You can't be a trash man. You're here for more than that. Well, I hate to tell you, mom, I am a trash man because that's what I do for people now. I help them get rid of all the things that hold them back, all the things that keep them limited by putting them into these cans and allowing them to see themselves and the beauty of who they are without all those limitations. And I, and I sit in wonder as I watch them see themselves often for the first time as these beautiful radiant beings that can do anything when they're not held back. Wow, that was a very superb and inspirational story that you shared today and kind of how everything came full circle from like your book and then now to your own purpose and mission kind of and the whole kind of trash man thing, like the story that you shared. So. Yes. Ruhi, before we move on from here, let me just say something else. But in a book, that, that's the story, that the story that the words tell. But there's another story that's in a book that most people don't even realize is there. And that's the story of the space between the words. Because in that story is a whole other story. And most people miss that story. So I would ask people if they buy the mosaic and read it, to read not only the words that the story tells you, but hear the space between the words. Because for me, what that talks about is the fact that a mosaic is made up of all these diverse pieces. They have all different colors, all different sizes, all different shapes. Some are broken, some are whole, some are big, some are small, but nobody, nobody tries to teach each other anything. They just come together and hold each other. And in, sim in the simple act of loving each other and accepting each other, of being with each other and acknowledging each other and listening to each other and hearing each other and just being together and holding each other, they make up the most beautiful artistry you can ever imagine. And so in a world where we're always trying to fix people or change people or tell people what to believe or tell people how to do something or tell people they're broken and they need us to fix them, what would happen if we just did what a mosaic does? If we would just come together and just hold each other and love each other and create the beauty of what we are together without separating us by one person trying to fix another. We don't need to be fixed, we're not broken. We just need to be loved and supported, listened to and heard and acknowledged. Very deep and powerful thought that you shared towards the end. So I wanted to kind of understand from you. So what was your experience like living as a monk and then the impact that had on your life and business? I love being a monk. I, Ruhi, have you ever fallen in love? Okay, I, I can't wait for you one day to fall in love. 
I, I fell in love with my divine, with, with my, with divine mother. I fell in love with this beautiful goddess that I knew existed in the world that, you know, people think of God as a masculine creation. For me, she was a, fe she was feminine and she was the love and joy and caring that my parents had always given me. And so when I would sit and I would, I had the opportunity to be in the monastery and sit and close my eyes for many hours a time. Sometimes I would sit for 12 or 14 or 18 hours a day and just meditate and feel her presence. And sometimes I would even fall asleep just sitting there. And, and I used to chastise myself for saying, it doesn't do any good to sleep in this sitting position and meditating. You're here to meditate, meditate, don't fall asleep. But I heard the beautiful voice of my, of my divine mother saying to me, no, my son, it's okay. Sleep here in my arms. I will hold you while you sleep. And when you wake up, you'll be with me. And how beautiful that we can be together like this. And I can hold you and you can rest with me and feel comforted. Don't chastise yourself. Just sit here with me and be with me. And, and when you wake up, come back to your prayer. And when you go to sleep, I'll hold you in your sleep. And there was something so beautiful about that time because it was... There was nothing interrupting the love affair that I had with my creator. And it was just the most beautiful feeling that you could ever imagine. And I hope one day everybody gets to experience that feeling of being loved for no reason, for being loved without, without any, any um, condition. And so when I felt that, and I also, I think I told you already the story in the green room, about meeting my wife and when she's much younger than I am. And I said to her, I, I was in a particularly difficult time where I had lost money in, in my business because my, the guy who made my clothes for me uh, didn't tell me he wasn't making the clothes. And we had a million dollars of, of orders to fill. And so I'd spent $300,000 thinking, well, it's okay. We're spending the money and we'll make back a million dollars in sales. And so I'll be covered and, and then some. But he told me three days before the orders were supposed to ship that he hadn't made anything. And so I lost $300,000. And I felt devastated by that. But what happened is I realized that I wasn't alone. Somehow it would work out. And the same, the same God that took care of me in the monastery would take care of me again if I just didn't get down on myself too much. But still, I got down on myself. And so when I met my wife, I was $300,000 in debt. It had caused my heart to have palpitations, and I was worried about my health. And she was 21 years younger than I. And so I said, why do you love me? Why would you, why do you, why do you, like, I, I can understand if I was rich and had money and, and was healthy and good. But why do you love me in this condition that I'm in? And she said, Danny, I don't need a reason to love you. Nobody's asked, ever asked me why I love you love them. I love you because I love you and I can't do anything else but love you. And when I realized she said that, and I realized what I felt from that, but being loved for no reason at all, just because she loved me. And I became invincible. I felt like I could do anything with that love. And so I want to give that feeling to people. That's the work that I do now. When my divine mother loved me for no reason, when I sat there falling asleep because I was so exhausted, she didn't chastise me for going to sleep, but she, she loved me and held me. And when my wife, I met my wife, and she loved me for no reason, and I felt the power in that, and I felt how beautiful that is. How many of us are loved for no reason? 
we hate for no reason, but we don't love for, we, we don't think it's okay to love for no reason, but it's so okay to love for no reason. And so my work now is that I love and accept people. I listen to people and I hear them and I hold the space for them to be completely acknowledged and okay with who they are. And then the most beautiful transformation happens when that happens because people, when they don't need to protect themselves, become themselves. And when they become themselves, they can't believe how glorious and beautiful they are. They're used to seeing themselves on the, as the painted version that they put on the walls around themselves to protect them, hoping that no one would notice that that wasn't them. But they, they, and they wonder why they don't feel intimacy in their connections. Well, when my wall meets your wall, there is no intimacy. There's just my wall hitting your wall. It's time for us to take down those walls and, and just be real with each other. And the way to take down those walls is when I'm kind to myself, I don't need walls to protect myself from my own attack. When I'm kind to you, you don't need walls to protect yourself from me. So together, if we're kind to each other, we can take down the walls between us because we know we won't be hit by each other. And that's the first step in building back the world that we want to live in. I think the most powerful point from the whole segment that you shared today was kindness will help to bridge the gap between people and it will help to make the society progress. So my next question was, can you share a bit on the power of listening to those who no one listens? The world has a voice and everybody wants to be listened to and heard. And so few of us listen to people. I can tell, I, can I share with you the story of a homeless man that I met in San Diego? So I was walking downtown San Diego one day and I felt drawn to go over to the sidewalk and meet a, and meet this and talk to this man who was sitting on the curbside there with his back against the wall of a building. And as I approached him, he said, no, no, you can't come here. This is my spot. I don't own anything in the world. This is my spot. This is the only thing I have in the world. Please go away. Don't come by me. Don't, don't, don't do this. And I said, I'm not coming to take anything from you. I'm coming. I just want to, I want to give to you and I want to, I want to know more about you. And he said, but if you talk to me, I won't make any money. And I need to make $5 a half an hour and $10 an hour because I take care of the other homeless people who don't make money like I do. And so I said, okay. Um, I looked in my wallet and I saw I had a $50 bill. And I gave him $50 and I said, this should cover a half an hour of your time. And he looked at me and he said, you're crazy. You can come and sit with me. So he said, what's so important? What is it you want to know so badly from me? And it took a little while for him to soften up. But after about 15 or 20 minutes, he was softened up. And I said to him, Corey, you sit here on this street corner and you watch thousands of people pass by you every day. If you could gather them into a room and just say to them one thing, what would you like to tell them? What would you ask them and what would you say to them? And he said, Danny, that's really simple. I would tell them to take 10 minutes out of the course of their lifetime and go up to someone they don't know and ask them how they are. And I said, Corey, that's beautiful, but why would you do that? There's so many things you could ask for. Why is that the thing you would ask for? And he said, Danny, you don't know me, but I'm going to tell you a story. You've told me a lot of stories. I want to tell you one now. He said, I hate being a homeless man. I'm embarrassed by it. I'm ashamed of myself. I can't believe my life has gotten to this point where I where I live like this. I'm completely, I, I'm, I'm completely ashamed. 
But what makes it even worse is the way people treat me. They treat me as if I'm a thing. They don't even treat me like I'm an animal. They treat me worse than an animal. They treat me as if I don't exist and I'm just something. And I remember sitting here and, and seeing a group of boys come by, walking towards me. And I, I went, hi, boys, how you doing? And they came and they beat me and they kicked me and they, and they spit on me. And they left me on the, on the sidewalk here. And I didn't know if I was going to be okay or not. They, every, every place in my body was bleeding and I was sore and I, I knew limbs were broken and I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and people would come by and yell at me and they would spit on me. He said, I remember I was just sleeping one night and just reminding my own business, sleeping here on the, on the sidewalk. And I was awakened by a man urinating on me. And I thought, enough's enough. I, I, I hate my life and people around me don't seem to be getting any benefit from me. So this evening, I'm going to go around the corner. He said, Danny, you don't know it, but the street right in back of us is a dark street. Nobody walks it. Nobody ever travels it because everybody travels on this street that we're on. And I decided I was going to go to that street that evening and I was going to take my life. He said, not two minutes after I decided that, a man in a three-piece suit came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder and said to me, how are you doing, brother? And I did the same thing I did to, you, to, to him. I did the same thing to him I did to you. I told him, no, no, this is not a good time, sir. Please just keep walking. You have no idea what, what, what I'm feeling. Just keep walking. There's nothing you can do or say that's going to help me. And he sat down next to me and he said, I'm not going to do that, my friend. I'm going to sit with you. And I want you to know I'm here for you. And I want to know what's going on. And you can tell me anything. And he said, Danny, I don't know if it was because he was wearing a three-piece suit or, or what the reason was, but I just felt like here was this important person taking time out of the day to just spend time with me. And I just started crying into his shoulder. And I started telling him of all the things that troubled me and all the pains. And Danny, he didn't try and fix me or help me. He didn't try and change me or feed me or give me a job or tell me what I should do. All he did was listen to me. He just listened. You know, Danny, it only took about 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes, I realized I can't go and kill myself. Not this evening or any evening. Because a man that I didn't know, an important man in a three-piece suit, came up and, and valued his time and valued me enough that he'd take 10 minutes out of the course of his lifetime to sit with me and just ask me how I'm doing. He said, I wish I could see that man again. I wish I could tell him that he saved my life that day, but I've never seen him again. He's never come by. Well, there's something called the butterfly effect, Rui, where a butterfly in one part of the world flaps his wings, and in another part of the world, the wind blows, blows and gives energy to things. Corey doesn't know this, but his story impacted me so much that Every, every talk that I give, every podcast that I'm on, every boardroom that I go into to, to talk to, to businesses and corporations, I tell the story of Corey. Now, by now, millions of people have heard Corey's story and have heard his plea and his request to take 10 minutes out of the course of your life and go up to someone that you don't know and just ask them how they are and just listen to them. You don't need to fix them. You don't need to change them. You don't need to convert them. You don't need to help them. You don't need to feed them. You don't need to clothe them. You don't need to house them. You don't need to do anything for them. All you need to do is listen. We have no idea what the power of listening does. So imagine if it could have that much effect on someone you don't know. Imagine what it can do in your business. If you went up to the people shipping your product or sweeping your floors or making your coffee or cleaning your toilets 
or, or the head of your sales department or one of the salespeople in your sales department and just sat with them and said, tell me what you really think about what we're doing here. Tell me how you think we could do it better. And you just listen. There are thousands, millions of voices that don't ever get heard that if they were listened to could change the way we do everything in our life. I want to create a revolution of listening. And you don't need to join it. There's no, there's no cult membership. There's no, there's no ordination fee. There's no, there's no uniform you have to wear. All you have to do is take 10 minutes out of the course of your life and go up to somebody and let them, and let them know you care enough about them that when you ask them how you are, you want to hear the real answer, not just good, fine, or great. Yeah, that's a very powerful anecdote you shared today with the audience. And I think the biggest takeaway was the power of listening has a really huge effect on business and also life in general. And I think the biggest takeaway was also the, the 10 minutes of life to listen and make somebody else feel worthy will kind of give us a new perspective also on our own life and what we can do, how we can improve it. So my next kind of question was, so what is the beauty of connection with the audience? Well, you think about it. If you think about a mosaic, one piece on its own is beautiful and it is, doesn't even stand, doesn't even hold a candle to the brilliance of the totality of the mosaic. What we're able to do when we're connected together is so much more than what we're able to do on our own. We, we hear this growing up. We hear united we stand and divided we fall. And yet for some reason, we choose to live divided from each other. We choose to find this, those things that we don't like in each other that separate us. Rather than when you look at a mosaic, sometimes the only way a piece, a piece is connected is just from the very corner of one piece to the very corner of another piece. Most of the piece, which means most of each piece doesn't agree with what the other piece is saying, but just in that one place where there's similarity, they connect. And that small connection makes the, makes the integrity of the mosaic whole. It's so important that we connect with each other because together we are stronger, wiser, bolder. We take more risks when we're connected to each other. We, take, we, we listen to our audience and we listen to our, our employees and we listen to our families and we listen to the universe itself around us and we listen to the very workplace that we're in. If we listen and really listen to everything, we'll hear our workplace tell us stuff about it. We'll understand why things aren't working because our workplace is trying to tell us something. Can I, do I have time to tell you one more story? Fabulous. So, Rohi, I told you I've been able to mix with some of the richest people in the world and some of the poorest people in the world. And I told you that one of the people I gained the most knowledge from was my friend who was a homeless man in San Diego. Well, the other person I gained probably most of my experience from is a developmentally delayed girl. She happens to be my daughter. She's 31 years old. And what I found with my daughter, Elisa, is when she, she doesn't, she's not able to speak like you and I speak. We've never been able to have a conversation like this because she's not able to communicate in this way. We have conversations in other ways, but not like this. And it used to trouble me and hurt me. And I used to feel, why can't I have a conversation with my daughter? I would love so much to understand what she's saying. But most of the time, I couldn't understand what she was saying. 
And so when she would speak for a while, she would speak and she would try and be heard. And I didn't, and I couldn't understand her. She would yell it because she thought, well, maybe he's getting older and he can't hear me. And she would yell it. And I still wouldn't be able to understand her because it wasn't the volume that was making me not understand it. It was the clarity of her pronunciation. And I just couldn't get it. And when she would yell it and I didn't listen to her, she would start to tantrum. And when she tantrumed and I didn't listen and I couldn't understand her, she would attack. She would try and come running at me and either rip my shirt or bite me. And this went on for a long time. Until one time in the midst of her rage, she was running towards me. And I said, Elisa, this isn't working anymore. You know I love you more than anything in the world. You know I would give everything in the world to understand what you're saying to me right now, but I just can't understand your words. Can you try and talk to me without words? Can you try and communicate what you're saying to me without using words? Well, the rage in her face melted into a smile that just melted my heart. She stopped running and stood there in perfect, tranquil silence. And then she looked at me and with this big smile on her face that melted my heart. And she said, I am daddy. And I said, I'm sorry, what the heck are you talking about? How are you doing that? And she took her finger and she pointed to the side of her head. And what I understood from that gesture was that she was putting thoughts into my head. And Rohi, I had heard her. I, I had heard her. I thought that she was doing that. I just didn't trust it because who talks like that? And I didn't even know if she was capable of some of the thoughts she was sending to me. So I said to her, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts into my head? And she just started laughing, this uncontrollable, contagious laugh. And the two of us laughed for probably 20 minutes together. 20 minutes is a long time to laugh with another person without a break. But we couldn't stop laughing. After that 20 minutes of laughter, here's the amazing thing. She never, ten she never yelled, tantrumed, or attacked again. And so if that would have been the end of the story, I would have been thrilled because now I have a relationship with my daughter. I know when I can't understand her, I can go to my, I can point to my side of my head and I said, try and put the thought into my head and let me see if I can get it. And sometimes I don't, but a lot of times I do. But I got greedy, Ruhi. And I said, I wonder if I would take this into the workplace, into the corporations that I work with and the entre to the entrepreneurs that I'm working with. I wonder if I could take it into government offices with, with some government officials that I'm doing work with. I wonder if I could take it to the dinner table of families and just sit with them and see if, the, if people act the same way my daughter acts. And, and do they, when they speak and they don't get heard, do they yell? And when they yell and they don't get heard, do they create chaos and disruption and try and make a situation impossible to live in? And when they do that and that doesn't work, do they attack and try and destroy a person's reputation or shoot people in a town square or blow up a building? Or what is it that they do? And I found in every single case, that's exactly what they do. That my 31-year-old developmentally delayed daughter who can't speak a word taught me how to listen in such a way that it could, it could take away all the pain of misunderstanding, all the pain of, not, of people not being heard. Because we have to find a way to listen to the way people are talking to us. And if we can't understand the way they're speaking, we have to look for another way that they can communicate to us that will, that will share with us what they were trying to say. Because when people don't feel heard, they scream. When they scream and they don't feel heard, they create chaos. And when they create chaos and they don't feel heard, they start to attack. 
Our bodies do the same thing to us. Our businesses do the same thing to us. Our minds do the same thing to us. When we don't listen, we don't even listen to ourselves. And so when our minds do the same thing to us or our bodies, our bodies are telling us what something's going on, but we don't listen. So we go through pain and, and, and all sorts of, of disease in our bodies because we're not listening. Our business is telling us the same thing. We, we encounter problems, but we think, we, we think it out without listening. Our business is trying to communicate to us. And if we don't listen to it, it'll tantrum, it'll scream, it'll, 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 it'll attack. But it doesn't need to happen. We just need to learn how to listen to the world that exists around us and, and hear what it's actually saying. Yeah, definitely. We have as much time. I th I'm really enjoying all the stories that you're sharing and yeah, it's giving me new perspective as well. That was extremely powerful. And I think the biggest takeaway from that and the whole personal story with your daughter and all that was that to find a way to kind of understand everyone, whether it be communicating without words and make people feel seen, make people feel appreciated. And then, yeah, that was a super kind of powerful point. And so my next question was, so are there any kind of marketing strategies that you would uh, share with the audience today? Yes. Um, it probably comes as no surprise that the marketing strategy that I would recommend to you is that you t stop talking so much and you start to listen. Listen to what your business is trying to say. Listen to what your customers want. Instead of talking to them about what you have, listen to them and find out what it is they, they want. And tr then try and help them see that what they want, you deliver. And if you don't deliver, deliver to them what they want. Because we're, I'm afraid the whole world sits and tries to sell products that it has, but people don't want those products. So we try to convince people that the products we have are something they do want and something they do need. And boy, will you be happy if you wash your dishes with this detergent? Or boy, you'll be so, you'll be so happy if you just use this soap. But really, that isn't what makes us happy. So we're trying to convince people that the things we have are what they need rather than listening to them and saying, what do you need to make you happy? And how can I deliver something of that to you? And when you find a way to listen to people and give people what they're asking for, you don't need to market anything. The market will come to you. And you know, they asked uh, uh, if, I can't overemphasize to you how important listening is to every aspect of your life. In order to grow your business, ask your business, what does it need in order to grow? What's missing? What's keeping it from allowing you to have what you want from your business? What is your business asking you to do? And when you listen to your business, what when I was writing the mosaic, one of the things that happened to me, which was really amazing, was I wrote this book and I thought I had written a really good book, but I thought it was going to take me eight weeks to write. It took me two and a half years. And at two and a half years, it was just a mess. Nothing was, it was like the characters in my book weren't allowing the book to be written. And these were characters that I made up. 
So I called them in a meeting in mind's eye. They were, they were made up characters. I called them, but I almost had like a Zoom meeting with them in my mind's eye. And one by one, I asked them, why won't you let me finish your chapter? Why are you corrupting the file? Why, are, why am I saving it and it's not saved? Why did I lose everything in my computer and I got everything back but the story of the mosaic? What are you guys doing? What's wrong? What is, what is happening? And they said, what you're saying, we don't want to say. You're telling us to say things that we would never say. And I said, with all due respect, I created you. You're my character. You're my characters. I can, I can tell you what I want you to say. They said, with all due respect, you can. But if you do that, it'll take you five more years and you'll still be at the same place you are. If you listen to us and listen to what we're trying to say, we will, your book will be done in 30 days. And I said, why? What's so different from what I'm writing and what you're writing? They said, well, what you're writing is you think you're teaching other people something. What we're writing is we're trying to teach you something. And you're not including yourself in the lesson that's being learned here. And when you learn this lesson and you, and you become the things that this mosaic is talking about, other people will find it too and learn their lessons from it because the magic of it transforming you will transform them. So if, if made-up characters can have a voice that is real, your, vo- your business can have a voice that's real. Instead of talking, instead of, instead of blah, 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 wasting your time talking about what your goals are, or what your strategies are, or what your things are, spend time in quiet. Listen to the story your business wants to tell and then tell that story. That will grow your business more than you could ever imagine. Because what will end up happening is you'll see things you've never seen before. You'll create, you'll innovate in ways you've never innovated before. Because you'll have fresh new ideas coming in that you could never even imagine were possible. And when those ideas come in, your business knows exactly what it needs to grow. It's telling you what it needs to grow. You just need to listen to it and do it. I think the last point that you kind of ended on with the business and the real voice and kind of the story the business wants to tell was a super powerful and insightful point. So my last question to kind of wrap this all up is so any kind of new projects and new new things you're working on yes i'm creating a revolution of listening and so if people what i found is more than anything in the world people want to be heard people want to be loved people want to be accepted people want to be acknowledged and validated and so i hope you'll leave in my in the show notes my contact information and i hope people will contact me because what I will do is I hold the space for people to feel safe, to list, to list, to be heard. And in that process, we'll find out, we'll figure out the money of it. It's not that big a deal. We'll work away, we'll work away to make it work. But I want people to know that they have somewhere in the world that someone's willing to just listen to them. Someone's willing to hear what they have to say. Someone's willing to love them without judgment. Someone's willing to accept them for who they are. And I want to see what happens for them when they give themselves the freedom to just completely be themselves. We live in a world where people make a lot of money. 
it's easy to make money. It's not hard. But we live in a world where very few people know themselves. My goal is to help people get to know themselves. Because when you know yourself, whether you're rich or you're poor, you're rich. Because you walk into a room, and perhaps you've seen it. When people who walk into the room or know themselves and carry their presence into that room with them, people, people just want to be around them. They want to, they want to feel that presence. And when people are rich or beautiful or whatever it is they are, they walk into a room, sometimes people want to be around them, but sometimes very shortly after, you see them running away from them because the presence is only superficial. That doesn't mean all the time. Sometimes rich people and beautiful people have a tremendous presence and people want to be with them too. But it isn't because you're rich or beautiful or, or powerful that people want to be with you. It's because you have a presence of being yourself. And when you carry that presence with you, when you allow your business to carry that presence in, in everything that you do, you become the most magnetic human being and the most magnetic business possible. So find that, find that purpose, find that sense of, of what, you're, what you are asking of yourself. Get to know yourself, get to practice being yourself. There's nobody in the world that could be you except you. Be you. Don't try and be somebody else. Don't try and copy what other people are doing. Find your way of doing it because your way of doing it is why you were created here on this earth. And it's beautiful. Thanks very much for sharing with the audience how they can connect with you and also Okay, so I'm sure you'll post my website, which is danielbrucelevin.com. There, there are many ways on there. There are many buttons that they can click to have, to have access, to have a free discovery call with me to see if it's good, if we would be a good fit to work together. Um, there, there are tons of things that they can learn about me. I have another website called themosaiconline.com. Um, but go to danielbrucelevin.com. You'll see, you'll see there lots of information and lots of things that of what I do. And I'd like to, and people can email me and, and, and I can contact them through email. So we can talk via WhatsApp. We can talk via zoom. Um, there's so many ways this world that is very large has become smaller now and there's no charge to do it. And if people feel really drawn, we'll figure out a way to work together, whatever, whatever your financial capacity is. It's just important that people give back something. So we'll figure out a way to make that work if it feels like this is something you want. Money should be the least reason why we don't get together. So come together, come if you feel drawn to this, to this beautiful flower that exists in the presence of my being, come and smell the aroma. And if the aroma intoxicates you, spend more time with the flower. <laughs>